0: everybody. I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family. Good to have you here at Lake Forest and Lake Forest Davidson this morning. Whether you are cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there's room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. The round reminds us that our spiritual growth is not just for our own benefit. We're all here to receive something this morning, yes, but we also all have something to give. So, as we soak in the grace and truth of God's love, we can also pour out love to one more person. So, there's this old saying, practice makes perfect, but I'm not so sure about that. Seems to me, if that were true, I would be perfect at watching myself flex in the mirror by now. I had a coach, though, who said something else that made more sense to me. He said, practice makes permanent, practice makes permanent, that, that the things we do over and over again become second nature to us. Things we do over and over again become our habits, but they're only our habits because we do them over and over again. Practice makes permanent. So we're still early enough that I can still be wishing you a Happy New Year. We're having this debate in the hall, but I think this and next Sunday I can still wish you a Happy New Year, and then after that I have to let it go. But now that we are in the new year, uh, I just want to say to each of you, well done. Well done for being here on the second Sunday of the new year. And I take the fact that you are here to signify that at some level you hope to grow spiritually in 2020. And for you, this may be a big change. If you think about where you would have been two, three, four, five, ten years ago, where you would have been on the second Sunday of the new year, it may not have been uh, in church. And so this may be a big step for some of you. So at some level, you desire to grow spiritually. Maybe it's your central desire. Maybe it's just a new desire. But I say to you, well done. And I have some unsolicited advice. My unsolicited advice for you would be if you want one practice to help you grow closer to God over the next year, it would be this one right here. It would be prioritizing taking part in Sunday worship. We do it every week, 8:15, 9:30 and 11. And if you realize you don't like it here, we'd love to help you find a better church. But somehow, some way, taking part in worship 8:15, 9:30 and 11 and trying to do it weekly as as you're able. Sometimes even on the weeks you don't feel like it. This habit of weekly worship does things that shapes us in ways we might not even realize. For instance, it gives us a weekly reminder to put Jesus at the center, a weekly opportunity to worship God, to listen for God's wisdom and insight into how we should live our lives. It also gives us a weekly opportunity to be in community, to remember that following Jesus is not a solo sport, it's a team sport. You're not being asked to do this all by yourself. You have a community of people who would love to walk alongside you. And it gives us a weekly opportunity to serve other people, to make our lives a little less about us and a little more about something bigger, about God's work in the world. And that does begin to change how we use our time and use our money and all these sorts of things, but at the heart of it, it makes us more generous people, people who are a little less about ourselves, a little more about what God is doing in the world. We receive and we give. We receive and we give. So, practice makes permanent. What will you and I put into practice in 2020? What will you and I put into practice in 2020? Our church family is trying to start answering that question by doing a series of sermons on the life of King David. King David is one of the central figures of the Old Testament. That's the part of the Bible that predates the earthly ministry of Jesus. Uh, King David is described this way in Acts chapter 13. After removing Saul, he, God, made David their king. God testified concerning him I have found David, son of Jesse a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. A a man, a person after God's own heart. Now, do not get the wrong idea. As we go through this series, there will be moments where you scratch your head and say, what in tarnation? You're a very cultured person. What in tarnation? How is this a man after God's own heart? David is thoroughly human. He is thoroughly human, and you will see that time and time again throughout this series. But the descriptor remains, he is still called a man after God's own heart. He's still called someone after God's own heart. So, you and I have things to learn from the life of David. God could use the life of David to teach us how to love more as God loves, or how to see the world more as God sees the world. So, whether you are a Follower of Jesus, or you're just here exploring the Christian faith, we jump in together to the life of King David and, and begin to answer that question What will I put into practice in 2020? Well, last week, if you were not here, last week, uh, Gray, Pastor Gray, got us started off. He told us about how David was chosen as the new king of God's people. Great news. One small problem, they already have a king. His name is Saul. He does not want to give up the throne. In fact, between the time David is told he will become the king and when he actually becomes the king is 20 chapters. Depending on the historian you ask, that is 5 to 15 years. So, David is in one of those in-between times. He knows where God is taking him, but He's not there yet. In fact, He still has a long way to go. Have you ever experienced something like that? Or maybe you're in the midst of something like that today. You know where God is taking you, or at least at some level you hope you know where God is taking you, what God might do in your life, but you're not there yet. Maybe you're not even close You're in one of those in-between times. What do we learn from David about the in-between times? This gets us to our passage for this morning, what Britt and Jack slayed earlier. That was an excellent reading of a ton of words. David is out shepherding his sheep, and his dad asks him a favor. His dad says, hey, Dave, maybe he called him Dave, hey, Dave. Uh, your brothers are away in the army, will you take them some food and also report back to me on how they're doing? So, First Samuel verse 7, chapter 17 verse 20, early in the morning David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions shouting the war cry. So not only are his brothers in the army, they are about to be actively engaged in a battle. This is not a good time to receive a care package. Verse 21, Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were doing. So you get a sense of the scene that's unfolding here. On one side, you have Israel, you have God's people, and on the other side, you have the Philistines. This is a group of people who do not worship God. They want to overtake Israel. They want to rule over Israel, and we can only presume make Israel worship the Philistine gods, not the God with a capital G, but the Philistine gods. You can see where the sticking point was here. David is gathering up information from his brothers, right? That's why he's there in the first place. He's gathering up information so he can tell his dad how they're doing, and something happens that changes David's life forever. He sees a really long shadow start to come out onto the field. Verse 23, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear fear. So, the passage says he shouted his, quote, usual defiance. What does that mean? Well, if you go back and read the first part of the chapter, what you'll discover is this. Israel and the Philistines had decided, instead of us all trying to kill each other, why don't you pick your best warrior? We'll pick our best warrior. They'll fight each other, and we'll declare the winner the winner. That side will be the winner, And then the the losers will be subject to the winners. It's a pretty sensible plan. But if you have ever watched professional wrestling, you know you do not sign on for that deal until you know who the other side's going to pick. Because no longer had they agreed to the plan, then the music hit and the laser light show comes on and out comes Goliath, a man who the Bible says is six cubits tall That's tall. I think. I think that's tall. A cubit is about a foot and a half. So, Goliath is a giant, right? Whether as a genetic wonder or some sort of like hormone-induced giantism, we do not know. And the people in Israel do not know. All they know is, I'm not going out there to fight that guy. Goliath had been trained as a warrior from a young age, and he looked the part. Goliath had come out so many days in a row, threatening to fight anybody, any Israelite champion, that the whole Israelite army was freezing in terror at the sight of him. Now, this is David's first time to see all this. And David's looking around at his brothers, looking around at his friends, and thinking, wait, isn't isn't someone going to answer this guy's challenge? This brings us to point number one. What do we learn from David about being in the in-between times? What do we learn about putting into practice? when we are in these in-between times where we kind of see or we hope where God is leading us, but we're not there yet. Maybe we're not even close. Number one, number one, number, number, number one. You may see why we uh, got the series name. number one. Start where you are. (laughs) Pay attention to holy nudges. Start where you are pay attention to holy nudges. Verse 32, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. David and Goliath is one of the better known passages of the Bible. Even if you don't know that much about the Bible, you've probably at least heard of David and Goliath. What I often forget about this passage is this is not David's job. David is not in the army. David is responding in a specific moment. David is running an errand for his dad when he hears Goliath insulting God's people and insulting God. And David knew deep down in his heart something needed to be done. But instead of thinking, someone needs to do something about this, David thought, I need to do something about this. You hear the difference? It's a significant difference. Someone needs to do something about this versus I need to do something about this. That's the difference between standing on the sidelines and getting in the game. Sometimes God gives you a unique perspective. Sometimes God gives you a unique concern. Sometimes God gives you a unique calling because He wants you to do something about it. I call this a holy nudge. This is like the moment God elbows you in the side and says, hey, let you and me take care of this. A holy nudge. But sometimes you and I, we can just wait and wait and wait and wait when the perfect opportunity comes that's just the right commitment, fits just perfectly into my life as I already know it, then I'll be ready to go for it." What is David showing us about these in-between times? I think he's showing us that part of how God grows us into the people He wants us to be is that we just start to take steps in the right direction. We start to God makes us into the people He means for us to be as we take steps in the right direction. It may not be what we think we're going to be doing forever. But we start where we are, even if the opportunity isn't exactly perfect. Do you think David thought, I'm going to ascend to the kingship by killing a nine-foot-tall man? I could think of some easier ways to do that. But he started where he was with this holy nudge that he had. He took steps in the right direction, and God used it to grow David into the person He wanted him to be. Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 25. He says, "'Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness.'" So, pay attention to the holy nudges God gives you where you are, and start to act on those nudges. Start to be faithful with those and see what God will do. See where God will take it from there. So, as we come into the new year, you may have one of these uh, nudges, a nudge, as Gray was telling us earlier, to, to be more involved, to, to take a step in and be part of a community group or a discovery course. God may nudge you that as the year goes on, He would like you to, to create and lead a discovery course, teach a discovery course, lead a community group, or maybe to go on a mission trip this year, or there's someone that you you are, God wants you to help, and He's saying, hey, let you and me take care of this. Or maybe it's to find a way to serve. That was another thing Gray uh, mentioned finding a way to serve uh, as part of our church or to find a way to serve in the community. Maybe for you, it's like your office culture. You know the culture or the culture of your team. It's not healthy. And there's one thing to say somebody needs to do something about this. But the point of a holy nudge, the point of, I think, what David is showing us here, God's showing us through the life of David, is there's certain things where you'll say, no. I need to do something about this. With God's help, is this something someone needs to address, or with God's help, is this something you need to address? Does the difference make sense? It's an important difference. That's number one. Number two, in the in-between times, number two, remember God's faithfulness and the story He is writing in your life. Remember God's faithfulness and the story He is writing in your life. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 37, David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So this is what David does. David goes up to King Saul and says, King Saul, I'm going to fight this old boy. This is a very loose translation here. I'm going to fight this old boy. And King, or King Saul says, No, you're not. You can't win. To which almost King David replies, Sure, I can, King Saul. And the reason he gives is I'm a shepherd. I haven't just read books about killing lions, I've killed lions. I haven't just gone to workshops on killing bears, I've killed bears. And so I think I have a chance against this Philistine. When when a bear or lion would come and try to devour one of my sheep, I would fend them off. I can win this. What's David's point in all this? David is pointing out that the holy nudge he's experiencing is not crazy. Now, it might still be scary, but it's not crazy He looks at the story God has been writing in his life, and this actually fits. It seems to fit pretty well. The guy who protected the sheep from the lion will protect God's people from Goliath. That makes a certain amount of sense. It doesn't make it any less scary, but it does show that it's not crazy. David affirms a few things. He affirms that God has been protecting him up until this point. God has been providing for him up until this point, and David does not think God's going to stop all of a sudden. The old song says, it's God's grace that got me safe thus far. God's grace is going to get me home. That's what David is affirming here. And David is also affirming that God's writing a coherent story in his life, that God has been preparing him for what's next, and now it's time for him to take a scary step. It's not like you show up today for church for the very first time, and then when you come back next week, we're going to make you the pope, right? That's not how it works. There's often a very logical, careful progression in how God grows us, and how God shapes us in our Christian faith, how God shapes us uh, in our leadership. And there are struggles along the way, and sometimes there are failures along the way. But we get a sense of where God has brought us thus far to have a better sense of where God may be taking us in the future. That's what David does. And then number three, learn when to say no to human expectations. Not learn to say no, learn when to say no to human expectations. Verse 39, David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So, he took them off. Okay, so at this point, King Saul has quit trying to argue David out of going to fight Goliath. He's going to do it, but we at least need to make sure our champion doesn't walk out there looking like a shepherd, right? So, King Saul gives him his tunic. This is like a very stately garment, because what more would you need for a fight than a stately garment? He gives him that, gives him like a helmet, some armor to put on. David puts on a sword, and this is when David realizes there's a small problem, and the problem is he cannot move well with all this stuff on. I have never prepared to fight a six-cubit tall man in my life, but it seems to me the ability to move around would be a non-negotiable, and so this is when David does something bold, David takes off the armor, David takes off the sword, he grabs a staff, he grabs his sling, and he goes and gets five rocks out of a stream, and he says, this is how I kill bears, this is how I'm going to do it. And David's way worked out pretty well. If you go on and read after the passage that we read this morning, you will watch David and Goliath exchange some of the best trash talking in the whole Bible. And then at the end of the trash talking is the fight, and it doesn't last very long. David throws a stone at Goliath, and you may have heard Goliath took it right between the eyes, and he died and fell down dead. And God's people, the Israelites, celebrated the victory, and the Philistines fled. The Philistines did not keep up their end of the deal. The Philistines fled. I guess it's a good thing David said no to wearing that armor. There are a lot of expectations put on all of us. There are expectations put on us by others. There are expectations put on us by ourselves. I cannot hope to address all of these expectations in a subpoint of a sermon. But the point I'm trying to make about expectations is this. When there's an expectation on you, you and I need to spend some time figuring out, is this God's expectation or is this the expectations of people? And if it is God's expectation, I pray that you and I will always say yes to it saying yes to God's expectations, and ultimately coming to see them as a good thing, as freeing you and me up to really live. Not weighing us down, but freeing us up to live. I pray we'll always say yes to God's expectations. But if it's not God's expectation, if it's a human expectation, that you and I will be discerning about whether or not we should say yes or no to it. Because there are some expectations that we put on ourselves and that other people put on us that are very reasonable and good expectations, and we ought to say yes to them. There are also expectations put on us that we or, ourse- we or other people put on us that we ought to say no to, that may in fact be paralyzing us as we try to respond to the holy nudges that God is giving us. Now, you can talk yourself around in circles about, well, is this a human or a God expectation? Should I say yes or no about it? You know, you can talk yourself in circles. That's part of the beauty of a community, of having a trusted Christian friend or two trusted friends or or a counselor or someone you can talk to about these big questions and not just be stuck in your own head all the time. There's some really wise and wonderful people in this and in other churches, maybe in your neighborhood, whatever. They don't have to know everything, just care about you and, and seem like they, they are generally like somewhat wise people so that you and I can begin to figure out when we ought to say no to a human expectation that may actually be paralyzing us in ways we don't realize. So, I'm, I'm coming to a close now. I'm, I'm about to do my last point. And pastor speak, that means there's about 30 more minutes to the sermon. I love the first three points, but I would say if, if you want my like quick, what, it, what do I think is the major point of David and Goliath? I think it is this. This would be, if you get nothing else out, this is what I would take away. What is the major point of David and Goliath? Point number four, number four, number, number, number. Finally, number four, it matters who your champion is. It matters who your champion is. When God's people were taunted by a giant they could not defeat, David stepped in and killed the giant, and he let God's people celebrate the victory. So, perhaps part of why David is called a man after God's own heart is that David did what God Himself did in the life of Jesus. Because in our lives, there are plenty of giants, but but the two the Bible talks the most about are sin and death. They are giants that taunt us. They are giants that mock us. They are giants that mock us. God. Sin refers to our rebelling against God. It refers to pushing our lives away from God. And sin wreaks havoc in our lives. Sin wreaks havoc in our relationships. Sin separates us from God. Sin convinces us God would never want us back. And then death robs us of the people we love. Death is the emphatic period at the end of every story. Colossians chapter 2 says this about Jesus. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, we've heard that word a lot today. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross, triumphing over them by the cross." So Christians believe that Jesus is fully God and fully human. The invisible God has been made visible to us. And Colossians chapter 2 interprets the death of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, as being the showdown of two champions, of sin and Jesus, of condemnation and forgiveness, of shame and grace. And both of them got nailed to the cross, but Jesus came down off the cross. Colossians says this is Jesus' triumph over sin. It is the victory of one champion over the other. But you might say, well, wait a minute. The reason Jesus came down off the cross is He was dead. So, doesn't that actually mean death won? That this was actually a triple threat match, and death and sin and Jesus were all against each other, and death walked away the victor? The period at the end of Jesus' sentence. Well, On the third day, on Easter morning, Jesus rose from the dead. Death, as you may have heard, took it right between the eyes. And so David and Goliath helps me and can help us see Jesus a different way. Jesus is the champion who triumphed over sin and death. Jesus is the champion who gives His followers a victory we could have never earned on our own. Through Jesus' sacrificial love, through Jesus' unmatched power, He nailed sin to His own cross and put death in His own grave. Through Jesus' unmatched power and sacrificial love, He nailed sin to His own cross, put death in His own grave. He walked away the victor and invites you to share in His victory. Jesus invites you, invites me to share in His victory. It matters who your champion is. Revelation chapter 17 says this, that they, the powers of the world, they will wage war against the Lamb. The Lamb stands for Jesus, always a safe guess at church. The powers of the world will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them, triumph over them. Because he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. So, who wins in that? The lamb wins, not the followers. The followers don't win, the lamb wins. And then the followers get to share in the victory. What if the biggest and most important battle in your life is not yours to fight? What if it's already been fought? What if it's already been won? What if my job and your job is to live in the victory? What if your job, what if my job is to celebrate in the victory? It matters who your champion is. Who is your champion? So here's the question I'm going to wrap up with. Looking to 2020 in your own spiritual life, which of today's major points do you need to take to heart? Looking to 2020 in your own spiritual life, which of today's major points do you need to take to heart? Because I pray in 2020 we all grow closer to God, and I don't know where you are right now. Sometimes I don't even know where I am right now. Which of those statements do you need to take to heart? Is it to start where you are? to pay attention to those holy nudges? Is it to remember God's faithfulness, remember the story He's writing in your life? Is it to learn when to say yes and when to say no to human expectations? Or is it that it matters who your champion is? Where does all this from the life of David intersect with your life? That's it. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God or to listen to God about whatever He's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, as we look to this new year, there's so much work to be done, so many important things to put our energy towards. But I pray that our first step is not to try harder, but to follow Jesus a little more closely. to start with the question, who is my champion? And then from there to ask the question, so what should I be doing? Lord, I thank you that you have fought and won the battle and invite us to share in the victory. And so from wherever we are today, whatever we're going through, whatever we will go through as this year unfolds, I pray we would start with that step of entrusting our lives to your hands, entrusting our worries into your hands, entrusting those who bring us joy into your hands. And then by your grace and with your help, working alongside you to transform us from the inside out. Make us new, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand, let's worship God with our voices, our offering, and our prayer requests.